Hello everyone, what's up, what's up, Leviathan News with another episode. Here it's already the 18th of January and uh, I have uh, something open, I apologize, apologize. I'm saying it's already the 18th where I am in Israel, but it should be the 17th of January for most of you. And I'm honored to be here with honestly one of my favorite people in the space and guests uh, for sure within uh, uh, one of the, one of my favorite guests on Leviathan News for sure. Back the bunny. What's up, man? Hey, man. Yeah, great to talk again. I appreciate you having me back. It's always a, always a good time, and I love uh, love talking about some of the posts I've been making lately. So appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you for coming uh, on uh, on short notice as well. And uh, honestly, I really mean it. Always a pleasure. I remember the first uh, time you came on, honestly, and we talked about the Milady stuff. Remember that? Mm-hmm, I do. Yeah. And I had, uh, I also had a drive that day uh, to another to another place to do something uh, completely else, and I had to do it from the phone, uh, from the car. But it actually worked because usually when I try to uh, connect from the phone, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It was such an interesting talk, man. I, I, the Milady thread was one of my all-time favorite uh, threads. Uh, I, I think it uh, it really caught the very essence of uh, that phenomenon in a way. Uh, and and pretty much like uh, you know it, it's something that is so intriguing to so many people but you hardly see any content uh, like you hardly ever see something like uh, you know expressed in that specific manner that uh, like with your specific angles that I really like about stuff uh, and I really appreciated it and no, thank uh, you, yeah. yeah for sure and uh, actually, this time, some of you, uh, like a, a lot of your threads have caught my eyes uh, this past week. Actually, you do so much. That I, I had no idea how you do it. <laughs> but, I, uh, but I especially saw the Peter Thiel uh, comment. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one with uh, Bill Ackman and uh, Business Insider and then the Thiel comments, yeah. Exactly. So I kind of actually want you uh, um, to present the whole story, like uh, to everyone, like your angle on that one, because I, and I know it's not exactly necessarily uh, crypto related, but uh, you know it's business related, and also uh, I know you have some uh, like uh, some perspective on uh, the whole uh, dividends issue within uh, startups and uh, crypto, uh, new crypto uh, like uh, you know businesses. So I actually want to like uh, take this opportunity to discuss the like a very different angle than what we usually do, which is actually this uh, like whole perspective of you of the exactly this uh, thread by uh, this comment you had about the Peter Thiel story and like give us the full version. You know what I mean? Like because mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that most people have no idea what we're uh, talking about here. And I would actually uh, really enjoy like listening to the whole uh, story uh, f- uh, from your eyes, and we'll just take it from there, and maybe we can move to the whole uh, like uh, uh, business and startups uh, stuff after that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, uh, so the backstory here is uh, Bill Ackman, and you know, with the whole like Harvard plagiarizing thing, Bill was instrumental in kind of advocating for you know that that's not right, and he's a Harvard alumni, and he was you know. He, Bill has very like uh, he's kind of like a, a normie discovering all the shit that's bad that a lot of us have known for a while. Like he's kind of that guy. He's he's reasonable. He's very smart, but 
but he's also like culturally kind of sheltered. Um, he's the kind of guy who's just now realizing like, you know, D die, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is, is bad. And it's actually provoked creating a lot of you know, not good things. Like he's just kind of learning this publicly and as of a lot of them are. So that's like his stage of development. And he was part of like the crew that helped, you know, promote getting the Harvard head um, fired, basically she was fired. And then his wife is a PhD holder um, from MIT. And then as retribution, because this is how this tit for tat little political games always go. Now they're targeting her and her name's Neri Oxman. Um, for you know what looks like plagiarizing Wikipedia back in like 2007 or something like like at a time when Wikipedia was like pretty nascent and there wasn't like a standard for this and it's very wishy washy apparently I don't know the, the details on Neri's PhD but that's kind of like the little tit for tat game here and Bill is out there defending his wife and I responded back like you know hey Bill can you go go full Peter Thiel on Business Insider like send them to visit Gawker in hell. Um, and I had, you know, asked him to like learn from Peter's methods. You have this degree of power in you. And, and, and Bill is very, you know, he does, he's a multi-billionaire like Peter is. He's very smart, very capable. He has a lot of like, you know, he runs a, a pretty sophisticated hedge fund. So he has a lot of capable people working for him, a lot of capable attorneys. Like this guy is well-equipped to cause problems if he wants to. And the, the Teal and Gawker backstory, um, there's a lot of lore there. Uh, so basically back in like, I think 2007 or six, Gawker ran a story on Teal before everyone knew he was gay saying, Hey, Peter Teal is gay. Like, and like followed him and like, you know, did classic shitty, like we're, you know, claiming it's journalism, but it's not journalism. just harassing somebody and trying to expose his sexual life that he wants to keep private. Like, I don't think there's anything noble, good or right about that. You're not helping the, like, you're not, you're not doing journalism. You're not like you're doing like tabloid, like just, bottom of the barrel harassing people basically and that's how peter viewed it too and that that apparently was like the seed that planted that that for him like that deeply upset him um and i think understandably so and uh what happened like a handful of years later is hulk hogan had a sex tape of his released where he was like he was like ha having an affair with his friend's wife and um, something like that. I, I don't even know if it was like, I think it was even by design. I don't even think it's like an affair. I think they were like just swingers or something. Totally consensual, like personal private shit, right? Like there's no journalism happening here by releasing that tape. You're trying to embarrass somebody. Um, and they did that to Hogan. They basically did the same thing to Hogan that they did to, to Peter. And what Hogan did is he sued uh, Gawker for, does this make sense so far? Any questions on this? Uh, well, I, I think I think that uh, maybe some of the viewers need a little bit uh, more exposition than it, but it's actually fascinating. So you so you actually saying that Gawker uh, released uh, like released a story about something sexual related to about something related to Peter uh, Thiel. They released that he was gay. Like Peter Thiel is gay, oh, okay. but like That's... back in 2007, no one knew he was gay. He wanted to keep that personal, and they uh, ran a uh, thing like stalking and harassing found maybe photos at nightclubs or whatever of him being gay and and sent it out to embarrass him right and like it, it that that was like the original sin that gawker did against peter that again this outlet wants to say it's it's a journalism outlet that is not journalism like to me that's just like literally just gawker was a journalist uh, where by the way not uh, that's not journalism to me that that's just i don't even know what you want to call it like tabloid like paparazzi harassment 
I'm not sure. Okay, but, but like, I mean, Gokker, uh, who's Gokker? Like, what, what was his uh, job? Oh, 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 you don't know, Go oh yeah, I should explain Gokker. Um, Gokker was just like, Gokker's kind of like what BuzzFeed is in a way. Like, it's gone, by the way, and I'll explain why it doesn't exist anymore. But Gokker back in the day was like just lowbrow, cheap, like, like, like BuzzFeed, like, like, uh, I can't think of like, other uh, any garbage like publications. Like some kind like, of media outlet? Yeah, yeah, it was a media outlet, yes. But it was a very like gossipy, paparazzi style like yeah. sort of left leaning in an obnoxious way. I think so anyway, I never read Gawker. Um, but it's just kind of one of those things that just did cheap garbage, like exposés of people and did stuff like embarrass Peter for his sexuality. Um, that's what it was. It was a media outlet. It had a bunch of other like things it owned too. It owned like Deadspin, which I think is a sports thing. Um, but that, that, yeah, it was a media outlet is the short description of that. Um, so anyway, they're, uh, they're a media outlet, and they do something to embarrass Peter, and then they do something to embarrass Hulk Hogan. <clears throat> and so Hulk Hogan sues them, and Hulk Hogan doesn't settle. And Hulk Hogan keeps going after them and actually takes it, and he takes it all the way to court for, like, you know, massive, massive damages, like $120 million, And people are confused, like, like, how is Hulk Hogan, like, why is Hulk Hogan being so aggressive here? Like, is he getting help? Is someone, like, you know, coordinating this? Because he, he feels like this isn't, like, him acting yeah. alone. and what was going on this whole time was Peter Thiel was covertly funding this lawsuit of Hulk Hogan against Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And he was being very sophisticated about it. Like they would do stuff like, um, they, they would run mock trials and mock like scenarios with, with jury members. Like they were hunting like the jury people Like they were running like what's like, like, like fictitious um, plays with people like to see what they would vote and how the jury would go to make the jury selection better. Like they were that autistically detailed about it. Like Peter went like full force. Yeah. He like, he, they, they did like trial runs and, and plays of it to see how it would play out and how the jury would convict. This is a fake jury where they're just running fake trials to see how it happens. Like that's oh how, God. that's the level of like preparedness, like that went into this and how like the vendetta here. Um, so anyway, it goes to trial. Hogan doesn't settle because he has a benefactor who's backing him, Peter. Um, yeah. And he ends up winning like $120 million in damages. Like, yeah, because oh it's not journalism. You just literally just release someone's private sex tape. And that's that. Like, yeah. And so what they did is that completely bankrupted Gawker. It, it destroyed and ruined <laughs> Gawker. So Peter Thiel ended up destroying the media outlet that, that embarrassed him and slandered him. And they did it to other people, too, oh. by helping fund this lawsuit of Hogan against them. And he took them out completely. So that's the... The lore there and it's a pretty impressive like uh you know uh way to go about extracting revenge here and like uh, i don't personally i don't know if i have any problem with this like one that's not journalism uh, i'm not interested in like viewing anything that gets published online as journalism it is a subjective term and i don't think that fits the term and uh two like uh, one this was adjudicated in court it's not like peter Thiel or billionaires can just like press bunnies and our bunnies <laughs> uh bunnies <laughs> and uh and nuke people with like a hundred dollar bill cannons like you can't just fire money at people and destroy them he has to take it to court and whatever and, like you have to win over a jury you have to you know a judge and all that so he won it in court and i don't have any pity for this institution and this kind of leads to the bill ackman comments where you can probably see what i'm getting at now is that mm -hmm. you know uh, business insider has has really eroded over the years i don't read it anymore or if i i mean i did loosely way back in the can, day can we um, can we just say again uh, like what exactly did business insider uh, publish about bill ackman's uh, wife so, so um what business insider did and this is this is much less lascivious and 
slanderous than, than Gawker, admittedly, but they published some stuff trying to show Nuri, his wife, as a plagiarizer and like, you know, stealing this, uh, not attributing these quotes to her PhD thesis, trying to get her in trouble, trying to get her whatever. Like they're basically attacking his wife by make, wow. by accusing her of plagiarism. So why are they doing it? Why are they doing it, by the way? Like who wants to like, uh, to paint her that yeah, as blowback for the Harvard thing. Remember the the preamble with the Harvard uh, president of Harvard getting taken out because uh, of plagiarism. Okay. I, I actually about this stuff I know a bit because you know, uh, like uh, being Jewish and Israeli and that kind of stuff. Uh, hmm. Lately, lately with that kind of stuff, it's kind of related. Right. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And that that's part of his Bill's discovery. And by the way, Bill is Jewish too, and so is his wife Nuri. Nuri's Israeli. Um, that's part of this I very know. north. Yeah, and that, that's part of this very normy kind of discovery of like, hey, wait a minute, yeah. this diversity, equity, inclusion is bad, actually, because now it's targeting, uh, like, it used to just target white Man. people, and they were okay with that, but now they're seeing it's targeting other flavors of people that they view as privileged, and it's creating, like you just saw with the Harvard president, and the anti-Jewish stuff. Exactly. Um, so exactly. that that's kind of the wake-up stuff for people on this, and that's sort of been Bill's discovery. So Bill was instrumental in, like, supporting that. He's a Harvard alumni. And so this is Business Insider getting back at Bill, basically. That's all this is. Business Insider is a clearly left-leaning publication that is just, you know, just trying to be a tool of, a, of an establishment that is mad that their little crown jewel of diversity got taken out for writing shitty work that was copied from other people writing shitty work, plagiarizing, you know, her thesis, which was just, it's just classic uh, yeah. Yeah, patho pathology to begin with. Like, even if she didn't plagiarize anything, it still wasn't worth anything. Um, anyway, that's the, that's the backstory there. And that's why I was telling, like when I was tweeting to Bill, like, Hey, follow Peter's playbook. It's not quite the same thing. Business insider is not being like as garbagey as Gawker. Clearly. Um, I would actually describe what business insider is doing as some degree of journalism. Like, okay, fine. Like if you found things that look like plagiarism, you're reporting on it. As long as you're not making it up or lying, like whatever, but like, there's still a playbook here where if it's exposed, if it's found out that. They did make shit up or this is like you know completely unnecessary and they are slandering her you know there's a playbook here for some kind of retribution and uh i think bill would be wise to follow peel uh, peter's example here because uh i don't think that you know i i don't think journalism journalism in general has a whole lot of integrity or standards to it and because of that i don't believe that you should be shackled by these made-up standards you impose on yourself like you know should a rich guy be able to sue a publication that embarrasses him well, yeah, if it's fake, if it was slanderous and didn't have justification, sure. Like that's the privilege of being rich. Yes, that's part of what any of us would do if we had the means and we were attacked and it was found out to be frivolous. So I don't is find any problem any, with that. Is there huh? anyone that said, do you, like, are there people who that have a problem with that? Like, oh, yeah. I, I don't even understand what can, uh, what can someone say that's wrong about uh, suing a publication that uh, you feel is lying about you? Like, how can the yeah. people... Well, see, the, the bleeding heart interpretation that would be, this opens up a Pandora's box for billionaires to sue any publication that does anything critical about them or mean that hurts their feelings. Oh, my God. Now democracy is at stake because now journalists can't, journalists can't say whatever they want about anything they want. That's the like hyperbolic response to where it's like, oh, now billionaires are going to control the media. Like, like, one, it's already fucking controlled by rich people. So kind of kind of grow up like. The owners of all these publications are billionaires and extremely wealthy and get to do whatever they want. You're okay yeah. with that. And, and two, they, these, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, and, and two, like, listen, if they, it's just a waste of their finances and time if they sue them and it's found to be, you know, like, hey, everything was legit and real. 
Um, I think there's a reason why everybody doesn't go Peter Thiel on every publication that does something negative about them, right? Like God knows how many people publish negative stuff about Elon. He's not, I don't, you know, he's not, I haven't heard of him suing to take out anybody and doing that. I mean, if it's kind of true or has degrees of truth to it, or is sort of an opinion that, you know, is not just completely outlandish, that's fine. Like whatever, like if people are allowed to have their opinions, but if you're publishing like garbage or falsehoods or leaking personal stuff that has nothing to do with like anything related to information dissemination, I think it's perfectly fine if, if people who have the means hold you accountable and I think it's entirely hypocritical to act like anybody wouldn't do that if you were a billionaire. You would defend yourself in any way that you could, especially if it was a lie. So I'm not going to judge someone for something that I would likely do myself and that anyone would likely do themselves. For sure. You know, it's just, uh, it's just so easy to, uh, to hate out of jealousy. You know what I mean? Uh, that uh, uh, like people don't even picture themselves in, uh, in this uh, guy's shoes or in, this, in, in his position when he's told something like that because they automatically call him as a bad guy because, oh, he's rich. Yeah, he's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Because the... rich. Yeah. Just billionaire is, all, is all, the only slander they need. And now everything he does is corrupt because of that. It's like, no. Exactly, exactly. It's uh, and you know what uh, I think about that uh, feeling because to be honest, when I was younger, I was dumb enough to think uh, a lot of this, a lot of similar uh, stuff. Especially as someone who was, uh, you know, inside the system, went to the academy and all that kind of stuff. Like uh, when you're in there, you have no idea like uh, how manipulated it all is. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you perceive it as if, oh yeah, this is knowledge, this is culture, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> but uh, uh, like, uh, like a decade later, you tell yourself, oh my God, this was like the biggest indoctrin indoctrination process that I could have ever really gone through. Uh, yeah, yeah. At least I heard some interesting stories, but other than that, wow, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, it's a shame I feel to, lucky to be. I, I feel lucky to not be to, to not have become that much of a normie you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i know right um uh yeah now I'm, I'm with you and i think it's a shame that it's, it's devolved to that because i mean the the universities are important like you know education and information and all this is is critical and it's sad to see them erode like this and they've done it to themselves completely and totally they've intentionally like castrated their competency first frameworks and focusing on like providing information that actually has value to society they're providing degrees that no one cares about and no one wants um and that's why some of these people you know like you can't repay your student loans with your art history degree well guess what because art history is not useful information for someone to get employed if you want to do that in your own time or something you know art is obviously an important thing but i'm sorry like the government shouldn't subsidize a loan for that um the university should be held accountable to provide a product that actually has value for people. And if that was the case, it's likely a lot of these majors wouldn't exist and you'd have to go learn it on your own, which is fine. You can learn on your own. That's okay. Like all of this information exists publicly for free. Like many of these universities, by the way, list all their undergraduate course stuff online. Uh, last I checked, I think UT Austin did, I believe MIT does. So like, if you want to educate yourself, you're more than capable and able to do that right now for free. Um, go ahead and do that. If you need to take out, if you think you need to take out a absurd loan for an egregiously overpriced product because you need a credential saying oh hey i know this and employers clearly empirically don't give a shit anymore 
because the universities have diluted their own product to the point of where it's like, okay, well, cool. I still have to know if you're smart because I actually don't know if just having a college degree means you're smart anymore. It used to be a heuristic for that back in the day because guess what? Not everyone should go to college. Like everyone should be educated. Like there's a certain degree of schooling. I believe that's, you know, if, if an industrial wealthy nation can uh, afford it, they should provide it. But I, I that that's fine to me ending at high school, right? That's your general education time. And now if you are a gifted or capable person or you want to go to college, okay, test into it, get into it. High standards, rigorous coursework. Not everyone gets in, not everyone graduates. And that's what keeps it maintaining as the uh, heuristic that it once was. For competency and intelligence but now if i hear someone has a degree it's like okay i don't really that doesn't tell me anything about you at all it tells me you just kind of followed a process that is an anachronism to me basically at this point and now i need to know what you really know because i have no real clear way of discerning that um maybe there are some exceptions like stem degrees in in certain uh, elite colleges like if you have a math degree from mit like okay you know that that still has weight to it because you can, it's very, it's much more difficult to corrupt the sciences though they are trying their very best to do that including medicine um but by and large they just diluted the fuck out of the signal and now it's just kind of useless to me and I, I don't understand why anyone would subject themselves to indentured servitude for a credential that more and more people are not caring about especially in the new economy that you and i work in and like web3 and tech you know maybe consulting cares about that maybe like uh, very traditional old economy stuff does but you know more and more they, they won't and uh universities either have to shape up completely recalibrate themselves or die and it'll be healthy and it'll the you know education won't die it'll just re be rebirthed somewhere else maybe on the internet maybe elsewhere maybe exactly. we'll, you know create education bots like it'll be rebirthed it's creative destruction basically yeah. if, if yeah. the universities die that doesn't mean education dies and all the democracy is dying you know hyperbole that'll go with that like it'll just come back in a better form um i agree with quite a lot with what you just uh, said i definitely think you nailed it on most uh, aspects i think that uh, what you said there uh, right near the end is quite a key because you know what uh, education has already gone like online like uh, education happens online like uh, in masses like in, in quantities that i couldn't even have imagined uh, a decade ago you know what not only for myself but like i see other people i see young people like devs whatever like what are you even talking about like these guys actually like go on the internet they go through like endless amounts of data that uh, the university or something like that would just have uh, kept them going slower you know those who right, are right. curious they don't need any uh, university or they have something called curiosity and they yeah. use that uh, as their uh, compass and whatever they uh, like uh, need and no one like no one is holding them back and keeps telling them no this is the right way, way to go no yeah, this yeah, is yeah. No, that is right. No, no, no. But you have to look at it at that perspective. They have such a, uh, like their, uh, their experience of like uh, actually attaining the knowledge is so much more pure and more objective because of the fact that they can actually filter from themselves and, and decide, okay, I read that. Uh, right. I think uh, that it's quite interesting. I read that. I think that it's manipulated. I read that like they actually have to be to actively think about their learning process rather than passively being uh, forced fed all kinds of like uh, different uh, ideas, uh, indoctrinations and uh, or doctrines or uh, whatever. And when you're in there, like when you're in inside of the establishment side of uh, like uh, education. 
it's hard for you to get that because there's there's a, the the element the element of clout is such a big deal you know what i mean yes. like, yeah 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 it's a, it's a, a, pedi- a pedigree economy yeah. i'm sorry i'm sorry go ahead yeah it's uh like a grand a credentialist economy is the one they exist in they uh they're very very credentialized and that's how they kind of discern competency in that domain so and i'm sorry keep going i agree with you no, no, uh, and that's that exactly what I mean. And, but you know, I'm like, I'm not saying that, uh, like, th- that these aren't like uh, places that only extremely talented people can actually, uh, like, get into and whatever. But like, the whole actual process of the education itself and the purity of the knowledge in, uh, itself, it's become secondary to the to the whole aspect of the clout and whatever and i think that yeah. for specific individuals even that uh, were uh, like educated within the system like uh, most uh, like you know uh, um, i don't know like uh, on the previous generation that's what most of them did like for example people like uh, peter Thiel and ekman you know they actually grew uh, like in these places i think that uh, Thiel went to stanford uh, right and yep. uh, you said yeah. ekman uh, went to harvard and yep. but to uh, but i remember that when i started uh, listening to peter Thiel, which is re- really one of the people i'm fascinated with the most i think he's b- uh, one of the most interesting entrepreneurs of our lifetime uh, uh, and by a lot especially yeah, i agree him. like when i uh, when i heard when i started listening to his criticism criticisms of uh, of the educational uh, system and uh, and like the academy I was uh, like, I, I. It was fascinating to see that you know the exact person that excelled through all these uh, like establishments and is now telling you, uh, guys, look, something is off. Like, uh, you should uh, you should start realizing that the element of clout uh, should uh, should decrease a bit. And I think that in in our cycles, you know, like uh, where you and I uh, like go around. I'm starting to become more impressed than someone that can write, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, five extreme uh, threads a week like uh, you with tons <laughs> of knowledge from uh, like different, uh, like on different subjects, uh, which actually like uh, synthesize a lot of information and uh, like, you know, it's it's not all about like memorizing knowledge. It's about, mm, I don't know, learning stuff and then uh, assembling some kind of a perspective and making some kind of a claim it's much more interesting when you actually have to communicate your uh, the stuff that you know and i think that you actually uh, do a brilliant job at it thank you thank you yeah and i i uh, i appreciate that and you know everything you kind of hear me like describe and talk about too is entirely self-educated like like oh like almost literally all of it like the financial stuff i have uh, a background in that you know, it's like I have, I guess, like, uh, you know, I passed a CFA test. I have, you know, my Series 7, 63, stuff like that. But um, like the in the weed stuff is, again, my own kind of research, learning and understanding. Like the Fed stuff I write about is purely my own kind of DD and being an autodidact. So I agree that like we don't have a good heuristic right now for knowing that someone is capable anymore, like based off of credential. Whereas like back in Peter or, or Bill's days, like just having a Harvard degree back when it wasn't like a corrupted process and they actually like, you know, admitted you off merit and was, you know, didn't make exceptions in there that the departments weren't corrupted with a lot of political ideology. You could look at like a Harvard guy, like that guy is sharp. Like I, I know he's sharp and I can tell within five minutes of a conversation that he fulfills 
my expectations intellectually. And that's just, you don't have it so much anymore. And I think that's why like kind of open sourcing your mind and, you know, like the stuff I write about and publishing thoughts, ideas, having a blog, like that's the way to do it. Like it's not a super quick, it's, it's, it's not a super quick heuristic. It's not like, oh, he has a degree, he's smart. But it's like, okay, you can expend, you know, it takes like maybe 20 minutes to read someone's thoughts on a couple different things and see the, 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 the breadth of what he thinks. And you can start to kind of begin to deduce them. So I, I think the, uh, the value comes in, in much more of like a real life presence on the value you're adding um, right now. Because, yeah, the, the university and educational signals to me are like so vastly distorted and diluted anymore that I, uh, they don't do much for me. And it's, they do, don't do a lot for a lot of people, apparently. So, yeah, yeah, I think you know that these are uh, these are like instruments that were uh, created for uh, like good reasons, uh, maybe yeah, like someday yeah. back in the time, and they do serve some uh, good purposes. But yeah. uh, like you know, it's so uh, it's been manipulated. Like it's yeah, not controlled yeah. by uh, like it's not doing it, it's it doesn't have the purpose and the objective and like uh, the actual goal that the society uh, um, thinks it has like yeah it's yeah, just, yeah. yeah. we think it's uh, like a place where people go and they educate themselves and they become uh, better uh, citizens and they uh, assist the life of everyone another like that's the good way to look at it but in reality it's used to indoctrinate them into all kinds of purposes by those who actually rule and run the world and uh, like you know it's not exactly something that's so fun to admit so people just keep going, you know, no, there's no way that that's corrupt and whatever. Uh, but and, and you know that you actually uh, referred to the like exact sciences. I think that in a way uh, they, they, can, they, can, they can manipulate the content of uh, like uh, a medicine school a lot more than they can do with uh, art history school. And the main reason is that they have a financial interest to do. Like it's hard to find a big financial interest to uh, manipulate the art history, but uh, to manipulate uh, medicine and that kind of stuff, man, there's money on the table, man. Uh, if people are gonna try to manipulate that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, just viewing like things like college for all, uh, it should be an instinctive like. To me, it should be extremely intuitive to instinctively resist that. And everyone operates on the platitude of like, well, education for everybody. You don't think people should be educated? Like, no, 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 no. Don't, like, not going to play those rhetorical games. I absolutely yeah. think people should have public access to education up to, say, a 12th grade education level. That is education. That's public, generalized education. College is not that. You're trying to turn college into like high school 2.0? No. Not everyone should go to college. College is a specialized place where smart people learn things. And that's why it's a signal because it used to have high barriers to entry and you've you've repeatedly eroded those barriers to entry under again this very just race communism and equality talk and however you want to prepackage it that's just what it is you've now diluted the barriers to entry to where like now everyone has one so now it doesn't mean anything anymore it's the same thing when you lower a barrier to entry to anything it, it just becomes less impressive the more people have it and it becomes less of a signal on someone's capabilities the more the more it's proliferate and this sort of ideological game pretending that college should be something it was never intended to be uh is, is you're seeing the inevitable byproduct of that and the inevitable result of that it's not for everybody it should have it should have a unique threshold to graduate and you know gain entry 
And it's not going to produce outcomes you find to, it's not going to produce equal outcomes. Like, I'm sorry, that's just how nature works. So um, when you get the people who are fundamentally anti-nature and anti-human, seeing distributions that contradict their ideologies, and that's all that is. There's, there's just a, a way they wish the world was. And it, they see an outcome that contradicts that. Oh, so it's wrong. It's not like my ideology is wrong. It's like, no, the outcome is wrong. I'm going to make the outcome fit my ideology now with my made up views on how the world should work. And it's destroying an institution that used to be great in the university system. Because it stopped being about merit. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. it's, uh, it became, oh, wait, you have to have like someone from, uh, I don't know, like wherever in the world, you have to have that kind of guy and you have to have that kind of girl and you have to have that. It's no longer like, they don't even discuss the, the, the fact that, I don't know, Maybe it's some uh, like uh, professions or something like that. Like Asian males are the are usually the best. Like for yeah. example, <laughs> with NBA, like I don't know in the NBA, the best players that I know are black. Uh, black. Well, what can I say? Like yeah. I don't know. I've never seen a white guy play like Michael Jordan. Not even Larry Bird. With all due respect, <laughs> right, right, I mean, right. like with all due respect to Larry Bird, who was. Really, one of the best, one of the greatest. What an uh, unbelievable player! I'm sorry, yeah. he's not Jordan, he's not Kobe. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. We're we're okay recognizing these distributions and traits uh, when they are favorable or nice to other races. We're fine exactly. with like we're, there's nothing there's nothing outrageous saying black guys are better athletes like nothing no one will get upset about that they're like yeah obviously look at the nfl and nba they're like 85 black mlb is very high too and we're okay with that that's not a lot of diversity but that's okay but when it doesn't tilt the way that you know the diversity crowd thinks it should be based off of their very racist presuppositions and just complete anti anti-nature just viewpoint of, of people rooted in hatred of you know, the whites and asians essentially um then you just get like oh no well the university system has too many asians can't have that and you know they they sued harvard actually for the anti-asian stuff because it's easier to do that for asians than it is whites even though it's the same thing um but they won and officially like the affirmative action was you know is no more like but it doesn't matter they're still going to get around it with their own little tests and what have you affirmative action has officially been illegal in um berkeley uh are like not allowed since like this 80s or something like quite a while but you wouldn't know that right you would have no yeah. idea you think it's completely so because they're getting yeah. around it with other ways they're just they're just playing the same game um yeah. to find out races and then pick accordingly so like the rot runs very very deep and just adjudicating this with like court victories that give a, a like a, vis a visage of success it, it doesn't change this like these people still work there that genuinely believe in this and until you completely refresh that system from those people you're not going to get a different system i don't care what the supreme court says or votes for like it doesn't i i, I it, it doesn't matter empirically like none of this shit is going away even though it got struck down so um yeah i think the problem is much much deeper than just uh some superficial culture war victories but exactly but you know i think it's about uh generations because i think that uh, it's not it's not something that uh, you know uh, can be changed like uh, in a short period of time this can only no, be, no, no, no. this is such a big these are such big changes that they can only happen like 
very slowly and with the generations because like other people like uh, younger people come with uh, like other demands and i think that you know the crypto industry and DeFi industry are a good example of it of like uh, if, if you if you really try to like uh, i don't know uh, go through the essence of like culturally what's different about uh, so many of uh, of us who participate in the crypto industry in various ways it's like uh, people who in a way wanted a way out of the system you know uh, you know yeah. like we, we wanted yeah. to run away from it and uh, all of a sudden we've created like uh, uh, like I, I wasn't the one one of the one creating it but uh, like you know th there's this world that uh, okay oh my god it has like a lot of uh, different uh, norms and uh, like uh, stuff that you can and can't do and stuff that you're expected to do and once again you know what you're uh, judged based on merit no one cares about uh, like uh, how you look or your pfp and whether right. you're from uh, i don't know what you should uh, you do have to have an internet connection and a computer <laughs> I, won't, I won't say that you can uh, manage without that but i think that also like that's something that uh, more and more and more people around the world uh, have access to yeah no totally like uh, and that's the great beauty about our space and i think why we all like it so much is it's it's purely meritocratic like I have met some very smart people like with investor calls for rabbit and like based off their names and PFPs, like it's, I mean, I can tell they're, they're pretty serious from their posts and like there's some competence there, but then I speak to them and they're like hyper competence. Like, Oh my God. Like you have this like silly little, whatever name and it's like stick yeah. on there, but you're like a serious trad by person with like a major background. Like you're like way more like it, it's, it's really, it's really cool to see it. Cause like the, the meme is, uh, in AI, the participants uh, act like they're way smarter than they are. And from my observation, that's definitely true. Like you just see these conversations that seem very pretentious and like have to drop in like certain like technical terms and like they're kind of competing for status. It feels very San Francisco-y in that way. Whereas like in crypto, like everyone undersells their, their intelligence by like 20 IQ points. Like people kind of act like morons, even when they're like not morons yeah. or like, I'm retarded, please be nice. But it's like, this guy is like extremely smart. Um, <laughs> It's kind of this cool, refreshing angle here. We're like, I just love how we we work and do serious things. We do some silly, fluffy things too, of course. But like, there's a lot of serious stuff being built here by people who are like very not status-seeking by it, or like not pretentious or ostentatious about it. And um, I think that's one of the most refreshing things about this space. I love the most is it's just pure candor analysis we value you on what you say and like the the framework that you're giving us we don't give a shit about your background um i think that's really unique to crypto i think crypto is like uniquely the best place in the world to find like a bare bones meritocratic anon first but in like a we value the substance not the person kind of environment Exactly, and and an environment that is actually trying to and and not only trying, actually succeeding and building solutions to the very same uh, issues that uh, made uh, made the, its participants run away uh, from the normal, uh, from the other sides of uh, industry and uh, society. I think it's like a gateway for so many uh, people who really uh, decide like this is a better place to spend more and more of their time and energy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, totally. No, great. I mean, that's why this place is, yeah, it's great. I love the energy and vibe and yeah. who you get to meet and interact with and just even this having this podcast, you know, and getting invited to talk with you guys. Um, yeah, just a great avenue to meet people who are <laughs> malcontent and, and uh, in a good way, I think in a productive way, like an autistic, 
builder kind of way that dislikes how things are set up. It sees that it's relatively stacked against them. It's overtly politicized. It's just an inferior prior system that up until now was as good as we can do, but now we can do better. And DeFi is a form of that better. And uh, I think that's the biggest motivating thing for a lot of us here is the culture and community are great. And then you're also building something that's seriously substantial. Like you're not, like no one's building, well, not, not no one, but like for the most part, we're not building like, you know, a new calendar scheduling app, right? Or like a new thing that lets you compress data a little smaller, right? It's not like things that marginally move the needle. Some of these things were like substantially move the needle for how humans transact. And I think that attracts people who are very risk-seeking and forward-looking as a result. So it like curates for, I think, the best kind of person. I uh, I agree, man. I just think that uh, you know it's such a refreshing uh, industry, and it's so and it's so much fun to actually like uh, you know you you, you I, I can discover like pretty much every day like someone new and sometimes you know and these are like specific uh, like you, you've mentioned it a few minutes ago there are uh, like the 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 specific type of users who and participants within the industry that are actually yeah, like you know uh, x tradfi big shots yeah. you know that's one of the most fascinating uh, aspects uh, of the industry in mapping because these are literally people who, who have seen the game from within you know and they most of them have also made money like they in, in the minds of so many of us they've already made it you know, but no. uh, they know a lot of stuff that for them, they haven't made it yet. Like, you know, they have a new um, something that they want to make now uh, with so much uh, like uh, imagine the amount of perspective that they have or about how processes are actually being done, about who's actually running what. And yeah. to, see, to see these kinds of people actually uh, come all of a sudden as an Anon, a small account, he has like 120 followers. But, you know, you see him on Twitter and all of a sudden you're like, okay, something's happening there. You, you know what I mean? This, this, is a, yeah. this is a serious guy. Something's moving there. He's been talking to uh, like projects from, uh, like behind the scenes. He's pushing stuff forward. But now he's doing it like, uh, like he's, he's meta doing it now. You know, you know what I mean? He has a, like, he has a whole new, per, a whole other perspective that... Uh, like uh, once when he was uh, in his starting days in Tradfi, he could never have had it. And like yeah. we, we get to have him like after that, we get to have him like full force, equipped with uh, like capital as well. To be honest, man, uh, like in the long run, I don't think that uh, like the the old way, the old society, the the old like structures of stuff. I, I'm not saying it's gonna be quick, but they don't stand a chance, you know. I agree. Yeah, yeah, they they don't, and uh, and it's not because like it's some sort of uh, uh, attacking of them. It's that that like largely they're just mostly inferior relative to what's being built here. I think in our space, it's um, you know the, the economic model here and what we're disintermediating. It, it should be disintermediated if if possible. And the only uh, issue beforehand was the tech wasn't there yet. Something I analogize this too often is like <clears throat> looking at the business models of Blockbuster and Netflix. If I were to show you these two business models, you'd say, well, obviously, I, I would start Netflix. Netflix is clearly a better streaming the video into your house. This cost structure is like obviously better. It's like, okay, well, but in 1980, you couldn't do that. Right? The tech just wasn't there. Like, we didn't have the internet and the streaming abilities to give you Netflix. So, Blockbuster was the model we had because it was the best we could do to let you watch and rent videos. 
And to me, that's what the old economy and like, you know, the track by systems are like, they're not these like parasitic cancerous things that need to be exacted and destroyed and, you know, have this like libertarian triumph, like it's evil. Like it's not evil. Like this helped create a lot of wealth. There's a reason why humans in Western society coalesced around these processes. It was because the best we had to help fund people, to get people capital for growth, you know, like it has produced the most successful and prosperous nation this world has ever seen in the United States. And even the ones before, like Britain and all that, like, you know, they, they used models that were banking driven and had, you know, trad fine investment stuff. And yeah, there's shortcomings in that, but that's a, that's a truism to me. That's an annoying statement because literally everything has shortcomings. Okay. So like judging it based on its flaws is useless. You judge it based on its, is it the best you can do with the resources you have at this time? And that's how I see the trad by system. Like it, it was great for our abilities at the time, but like for what we're building and, you know, our, our new ledger systems, which are blockchains and the ability we have to instantiate hardness and predictability and rules with code and, um, you know, smart contract functionality, it disintermediates like lawyers out of the equation. It gets a lot of regulators out of the equation. Like that's a lot of human capital you just freed up to do better things with their lives is the way I view that. That's creative destruction because now you need less finance lawyers. Now you, you will need eventually less regulators. It takes time, but like there's less of a need for that now because the enforcement mechanisms are instantiated with code and automatic and algorithmic. So before we needed those lawyers and those you know people to give us predictability and something to rely on, because if there's no contract law, if I write a contract with you, I can't operate with confidence knowing that it'll be fulfilled, right? There needs to be some kind of, and that's what hardness is, like knowing the future is predictable and manageable in a certain way. And law and regulations previously gave that, blockchains give us a better version of that. Now we can manage this shit without bureaucratic, with much less bureaucratic blow, with much less regulators, much less lawyers, all of these things removed out of the equation, which is a good thing. And those people can now get other jobs and in other industries, like whatever, like I, I, I no, they're smart. They'll they'll get something else. If you're a, if you work in that area, you have you know you have a minimum degree of competence. Like your your explicit job will go away, but another one will emer emerge because there's always more to do than there are people to do it. Um, so that to me is like why this is such an obviously superior economic model, and eventually the margins will reflect in that. Um, if they they already kind of do in layer twos, but eventually like you know every single person and regulator and lawyer and all those things you need to have in there for these processes to work, there's an embedded cost for all of them. All of those people need to get paid, okay? So all of those people are getting paid one way or another from the system, from the banks, from whatever. Like that compliance department is, that the cost for that compliance department is embedded in the bank's fees it gives to you. Okay, so now if those costs are gone, eventually now that makes the mark, that, that means more value is accrued to the people using the service because it can be accessed more cheaply. And so it's just axiomatic that this system is superior is obviously superior. It's both from an ideological lens and an economic one. I support it from both. Ideological, you know, keep your hands out of my finances, it's not your business. And also from an economic one, like this is clearly better for the reasons I just like elucidated. Um, so yeah, people just need to get comfortable with that because it's not going away. And if you resist this, you're resisting progress and clearly superior things because it's the same kind of person who doesn't want to automate driving because it, it might remove truck driver jobs. Like, okay, like that's a losing fight. Uh, it just is. And I, I, if I need to explain that to you, I can't explain that to you. Um, it's the same kind of mindset, but these people dress them up as much more sophisticated when you're really just resisting automating something because you think the factory can employ less workers now. We will, it'll pop up elsewhere and the model is better and it makes, you know, it just makes things better. So anyway, that's my rant. 
Exactly, and also like you know, uh, like uh, this is life. Like we don't do the things like we did a hundred years ago, and uh, like people also had like all kinds of jobs that today no like vast majority of people don't have because you don't need as many people uh, like to know how to handle uh, like a uh, horse uh, horns or however you <laughs> exactly yeah you need less yeah. farmers to till the field right because you got the tractor that does it for you um it, it, it's just the, the 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 nature of technological advancement in life that's exactly yeah nailed it yeah and you have to like uh it's also like our uh bio biological nature in a way that like uh, forces us and like uh keeps making us like uh like keep, keep also keeps having like maintaining the ability of us to adapt to react like you can't uh you can't expect uh, that you will stay the same and you'll do the exact same things and that the uh, environment will not change like quite the contrary uh like change is the only constant uh circumstances will change the the the, the chances that you will uh like like that everything will stay as it is and you can just and, and you can at this moment plan something for years ahead um that's uh that's a very good that's a very low chance actually yeah no i, I agree you, you're literally fighting nature i think a lot of these people like i mentioned before the those who are trying to forcefully change the the distributions of uh people in the education system by race because they don't like it they're fighting nature okay they're fighting distributions that are natural outcomes like no one's making that happen it's literally what a purely meritocratic system creates the same way a purely meritocratic system in the nba creates a certain distribution it is not equal it's deeply unequal actually there's a lot of that when you have these things without these barriers and the more you insert anti-nature ideology about how you think the world should be um, the more you get these corruptions and perversions of the system that fundamentally cause them to to perform less efficiently Because humans act in their best interest, they're going to organize themselves that way. These systems, if they're again meritocratic, are going to produce outcomes that are going to have pareto distributions and things you don't like. And um, that kind of person that's upset by that uh, is also probably going to be upset by DeFi and the jobs that they're going to remove and take out of the equation. They're going to slander for other reasons, like whatever Elizabeth Warren is saying, you know, just yeah. made up whatever. Um, exactly. It doesn't matter. Like it's just—it literally is just noise. Like don't—you can't even analyze it on like the term. She's just picking an insult out of a hat. Um, you know, these are these are people who don't like the natural progression of things. Like this is progressing in a way that takes the bank, like their control out of the system. They don't like that. Well, that's the way things are going and the way they're going to go. But you're going to resist it because you just—it upsets you when you can't control things in a way that that comports with your political ideology. And that's a class of person to me that is particularly nefarious. Um, Anyway, it's like authoritarians, basically. But anyway, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I agree. And and you know, like uh, for us, on the other hand, it's so uh, it's so great actually because like uh, if this industry wouldn't have uh, existed, I would be doing stuff that I enjoy much less now. Like probably. Yeah, me too. Uh, and and just because of the fact that so many people started doing stuff that uh, like uh, creates like this uh, like uh, whole new like detour to uh, the actual uh, like uh, like to the real uh, to the normal world all of a sudden so many of us are starting to work here and you know we're gonna see like a flow of uh, not only capital we're gonna see a flow of new uh, people and employees that are gonna find all kinds of uh, new jobs I see like I have a specific yeah. uh, 
friend in real life that you know he's a very capable uh, guy but he is still like mostly he touched crypto like a bit but he was mostly into like web 2 fintech and that kind of stuff and right, right. now after like years in fintech all of a sudden he's like looking and like you know what uh, why shouldn't he take his talent uh, elsewhere like he sees that uh, yeah. these organizations are losing uh, their power you know like right. fintech companies uh what can i say i'm not the best one to uh like uh comment on it i'm not objective but like uh, i i don't understand how it's gonna like i don't understand what's fintech without uh crypto um a decade from like i don't know a generation from now yeah totally yeah and a lot of these guys they just need to have the skills fall from their eyes because uh, there is a lot of people in this space that are out there are a lot i'm sorry there's a lot of people in, in out there that are allies they just don't know it yet. May it be political allies, may it be technological ones. Um, I, I encountered one recently. Um, I was visiting uh, back home uh, during Christmas and I saw some friends I haven't seen in a while. And one of one of whom is uh, like a really successful guy. He worked for a hedge fund for a handful of years. He's starting his own fund now. Very smart dude. Like we can talk at deep levels about a lot of stuff. And he, he knows nothing about crypto. Like he knows, and this is a guy who's a tech investor. Like he worked at a major tech hedge fund. He understands like, like the inner workings of, of SaaS models, like incredibly well. Like this dude is like as tech minded as you can be from an investment lens. And he doesn't like fully, I, I didn't like get into it deeper with him to, you know, it wasn't that kind of environment. But while I was talking with him, I was just like striking as like, this guy is going to love this stuff, but he just doesn't know he loves it yet. He doesn't, he hasn't seen like people still see the fluffy puppy tokens and Pepe and all that. And if you get kind of put off by that, you don't look a little deeper. And I initially kind of was was uh, guilty of that too. And then you realize the infrastructure being built, I think it's gonna cause a lot of people to like really recalibrate what this space is doing. There's probably gonna need to be some kind of killer app, not killer app, but like like something like a Yearn or a, a Maker die or something that permeates the TradFi space in a real way, where like it makes finance guys like like my friend be like he encounters like urine vaults in real life and he's like what what this is crypto what is how does this work and now like that sparks the, in, in, the curiosity and lets them see kind of what we're building here so uh, we'll win those people over slowly and steadily you know like it's just a it's just a add value to the world and, and you'll get you'll get um you know people noticing you do you think that now with the uh new etfs do you think that uh we're reaching like a fluctuation uh point I don't know. Like I, I'm the ETFs. I mean, they're obviously a good thing. Like I'm happy they're happening, but the ETFs are purely like, you know, a, a quick backstory on me. I actually knew about crypto, like, you know, 2013, 2014, um, you know, I was into it then, but I thought they were just tokens bouncing around. I thought it was just cryptocurrency, a term I, I particularly hate. That I've written about because it buckets what we're doing as currencies. And like, I'm sorry, it's easier to name the things that are trying to be currencies than the ones that are not. Okay, like Dogecoin, XRP, kind of Bitcoin. Um, those are cryptocurrencies. Like their their purpose is to send you money, receive money, hold it, maybe, you know, like that's it. Like you're not using it to like build infrastructure, like you're not using it as a commodity token in a network at, for compute credits to build something like ETH. Um, I think that's very deceptive for people. And the ETFs to me are just kind of a continuation of that. Like it'll help inflows of capital, but I think it helps inflows from like a pump my bag standpoint, not people like understanding that there's infrastructure being built here. 
So it's a good thing. I just don't think it's like this. Well, I, I would be ecstatic if like if Fidelity started offering access to urine vaults. To me, that would be like holy shit. Like that's real because now you're like showing people a a use case application of this technology. Like oh wait, this is not cryptocurrency. Like this is this is technology. This is something that provides a service. I get value from using this. Wow, now I'm recalibrating my views here to just thinking it's XRP and a, and a token that bounces around. Um, so the ETFs kind of feed into that to me. Like they're good visibility enhancers, I guess. They make the industry seem more credible because now, you know, whatever BlackRock will let you buy something related to Bitcoin. But I mean, it's letting you buy it in a very TradFi-ish way. Um, you know, like you're not actually owning the currency, you're just getting price exposure to it. Like you're getting price, it's, it's more price exposure for more normies, I guess. Like you could have already bought Bitcoin futures and ETH futures already, and the CME offers them. Um, anyway, I'm being a bit of a party pooper. I just don't, I'm not like enthralled about it because to me, it's just a very like normie core price thing that just makes them all think it's still currencies and doesn't like help the actual DeFi narrative and understanding of it. Um, but whatever, still a good thing. Still a good thing. I'm not like hating on it. I'm just not like obsessing over it. Yeah. I think it's actually going to be a big catalyst, you know, because I think that uh, it, it's such a big sell story now for so many. And I agree for most, uh, they're going to remain on that level that just, just like you said, and you bring up a great point, by the way, about uh, the fact that when you look at the industry as the cryptocurrency industry, it lessens it so much. Like, it does. You know, yes. It actually, it's not the thing. It's the crypto industry. And maybe it even needs like a much better uh, name than that, because it's like a, uh, I don't know. It's the new infrastructure of uh, like information or whatever. Like yeah, I, exactly. I don't know. It's uh, it's like Internet uh, 2.0. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's why you know Web three gets shit on a lot as a term, and it is kind of it does feel like a cheesy VC thing. But like to me, what it represents is you know Web two is don't be evil. Web three can't be evil. Like the more you can move certain processes out of centralized vectors the more you can give open access to everybody. And like, again, we're talking about infrastructure. We're talking about compute and file storage, like Filecoin, right? Like Ethereum and building new primitives and, and new you know, businesses in a completely new paradigm. Uh, cryptocurrency is just a complete like short selling. It's like, it'd be like if, if you had like Michael Jordan on your team and you're like, oh, this guy's good at, at foul shooting. Like, yeah, but he yeah. does a whole lot more than just shoot good foul shots. Like, um, yeah. you know, it's like you're just like so narrowly defining him as just one thing and it's just like that he does way more like that's the worst to me that's the worst thing you could do is to say we're just a currency i think that's like the least interesting element of us like by far um so yeah i hate the word i hate that word currency is like yeah we're not currencies like you know we're, we're assets we're like you know no one's no one looks at amazon stock and says oh amazon's this is too valuable to be a currency no one will ever adopt amazon as anything it's like well like, no one says that why could you understand that that's not what Amazon stock is, right? Like you understand it to calibrate it as a different thing. And I feel like people see stuff like ETH or the space and the volatility and they see that in tech stocks and they're okay with it because they understand why. And But they see that in our space and they think crazy, but I think they need to have a better understanding of like what's here. So they'll be more okay with that, um, if that makes sense. Um, anyway, but yeah, that's just my rant on the word cryptocurrency. I, I can't stand that term. <clears throat> Such a good. That's actually such a good point. I've never uh, thought of it, but you know, it it, it also it, it's so easy for them to uh, present the industry as fraudulent when they call it cryptocurrency, 
because it's like, oh, you know, we already have a currency, we already have the dollar and the shekel and the yeah, yeah, yeah. and whatever and the peso. And now you come with your uh, 12,000 tokens. Ah, obviously, they're all scams and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And exactly. And it sets the like, and and, and it takes like uh, like you see the you see the tree instead of the whole forest. Like guys, uh, are you even looking at what we can uh, like achieve here? Because uh, yeah, yeah. when you were talking, I thought to myself, you know what? We, we're actually the tokenization industry, in a way. We're pretty much coming to tokenize you. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah. Way. Uh, we're coming to on-chain you, uh, but uh, in a digital way, and uh, it's much better than the ways you're uh, you're chained now. Yeah, totally. And you know, a quick addendum to that too, and I think it has to do with how people understand value. Um, people struggle to understand why currencies are valued the way they are. I mean, even I, like, I understand what what goes into their demand and what causes and you, them to change. And you've literally, like, uh, you know, like, yeah, you've, I mean, you've invented the decks. <laughs> yeah, I'm weird, right? Like, and my understanding of like a lot of this stuff is is not, you know, it's a very autistically specific interest in it. But like most people, and even like macro guys, they can be like, why is this currency? Why is this fat? Like, it's just a number bouncing around. Whereas a stock, people see a stock and understand, okay, like Microsoft stock is doing really well because Microsoft is crushing it. There's a reason for this to be valuable. We can use a DCF framework to understand it. Some, some some things that make us comfortable with like why this is priced the way it is. A lot of normies struggle. And I had a conversation with one again when I was visiting back home. I mean, this guy was very simplistic. He didn't even understand like what market cap was, but he struggled to understand like, why is it worth anything? Like, I don't understand. It's just a, it's just a token. It's just a number, like whatever. But if you frame ETH as like, listen, this is a network that has infrastructure built that people pay to use because it provides a service. If I want a service, I have to pay for the service, right? Okay. Well, to pay for these services, I need to pay with this. Oh, now I see that. Okay. So the more value here from people using it, now the token, now I get why ETH is valuable, right? Like it, people more innate, no one slanders stocks as being like, they may don't not like them, but they get why they have value. They understand it's related to the company and its success in some way. And if we can tie these, you know, crypto, these, these assets, you know, like RBX, for example, our token at RabbitX and other things to like, this does well based off performance and adoption. It makes it much more real to people. And, um, yeah, that, that's another thing that like when people hear currency, they, they struggle to know even why it's worth anything. Um, and I think that's a very normal response to with currencies and they just see a number bouncing around. Whereas when they see Amazon stock, they think, oh, Jeff Bezos is rich and Amazon is great because Amazon is fucking amazing and provides a lot of services. They, they get that, you know. So, and I think that uh, it goes to your point that, you know, the, uh, like the real ones, the good ones, they're not uh, like uh, currencies, at least at least outside of the major ones. I mean, I don't know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, in a way they can be currencies already, like they've made it, you know, like uh, so many of us like already know that uh, they're worth something and uh, that they're used for specific stuff, like uh, to, to do actions on chain, stuff like that. Yeah, but, totally, totally. Uh, but you also like bring up a good point about the fact that the the real ones are not uh, like uh, currencies; they're assets, you know. Yes, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, triple point asset is one I, I liked from the the bankless guys. I think they came up with that. You know, it's like it's a commodity. It's uh, you know, it's it's a unit of account. Like you measure things in it, and it's also a means of exchange. You know, it has a, a currency component to it as well, right? Like people buy and sell things in ETH. People sell NFTs in ETH. So like there is a it has currency characteristics, but that is like 
way like that's not the reason why it's valuable. Like that's part of what makes it have economic value for transactions. But you know, it has uh, commodity use cases. It has medium of exchange use cases. Um, you know, currency ones as well, and also just value accrual ones. Owning it as part of a network that you know that the token does well with that. So um, anyway, sorry, I interrupted you there, but that's a good way to like. Kind of oh, you, you never interrupt me, Bunny. You never interrupt me. I, I enjoy listening to you uh, so much. <laughs> Never interrupt me. But actually, that leads me to something uh, I, else I wanted to ask. To, to ask, I'm sorry, and to I'm not from uh, South Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> so uh, actually, like with RBX of Rabbit, okay. Like how how do you take like uh, a lot of that stuff that you've just mentioned like these these like principles that uh, on which like uh, you actually think that a specific token should be based, which is actually like an asset and not uh, like uh, you know uh, a currency. It actually is, in my opinion, like the the interesting tokens, at least the ones I'm interested at. Uh, they're much more like uh, stocks, and they're much more like dividend stocks these days. Mm, yeah, and agreed. I'm, agreed. And I'm mostly affected by that by, uh, by uh, Noah Seidman, Captain Rational. I'm sure you. Uh, oh yes, I'm very familiar with him. Yeah, uh, I've seen some of his takes. He's a very like dividend cash flow purist sort of dude, right? Listen, this guy is so good, man. Now, honestly, like you know, uh, as much as I enjoy like creating content, and I think that I work with so like you know, I work with Sam and with Garrett. These people like are so amazing. Like I I'm so thrilled to even be like you know uh, doing stuff with them that I'm like uh, in the clouds already. But honestly, man, no assignment to me is the goat. Like uh, of actual like the the way he does the these solo streams and like actually present his perspective on uh, how to do uh, like uh, like how to think about finance life uh, like income uh, managing uh, assets managing uh, like uh, the way some the way one feels like I, I think uh, his streams like, just just like uh, one of my. Uh, Friend, uh, which is the dev that I hope you get to know at some point. Uh, actually, uh, Tony, like he watches him religiously, and I, uh, I, I tend to agree with him. Like I think that if you if you watch one man in uh, on YouTube and on and on the crypto industry or tokenization industry or whatever, you should watch uh, No Sideman, Captain Rational. Shout out to him. Everything uh, like. Uh, uh, and it's changed my perspective on stuff so much, and mostly uh, by, uh, by uh, starting to uh, think in a in a bit more uh, mature way. Because you know, uh, me personally, I started following the markets in 2020, right after the whole like uh, you know the the craziness of the beginning of uh, 2020, when I started feeling that uh, I don't know some of the stuff that I'm being told I think are false. And I should start uh, questioning uh, stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he's um, he's uh, I, I I've listened to a handful of his streams and um, his uh comments, and and they're good. Like I agree. Like he's a very um, I think he's he, the right like advice for like most people, like most people by far, and just how to perceive financial assets. And and this is actually kind of ties into a piece I've done. I did a thread on this and I, I published a Substack called um, on governance tokens and tech stocks. And, you know, he is, uh, I've seen some of his comments that basically is like, you know, these tech stocks, they're, these are useless. They're worthless. And I, and I, from hit the lens that he analyzes them, I agree with them. 
And this is something that I go to in the article, which I encourage everyone to read, because the response to it was like, Can you share it? Can you share it on screen? Um, I'm on my phone right now, so no, but I can give it, I can put it in the comments if, if you like. Um, yeah. What it does is it basically goes into like, listen, any any stock that's not paying a dividend or, or doesn't have any plans to return cash, like, what, what do you own? Like, what, what, how, why is this even worth anything? Like, because it's equity, but what does that mean? Like, does that mean you, I can call up Cloudflare and say, hey, I'd like to take 0.04% of your treasury or assets, please. I have, I have an equity ownership. Like, no, I don't get to do that. Like I get to vote in shareholder meetings. And further, like even in bankruptcy, like uh, a stock is a junior claim. And these companies, these tech companies, most companies these days have no book value, which is to mean, which is to say like, they don't own a factory. They don't own hard assets to sell. So like if they go bankrupt, they even have anything to give you. They have intellectual property. They have goodwill. They have like these intangibles that is what makes them valuable. But this doesn't present any economic value to you. You know, you're not buying a stock hoping it goes bankrupt anyway. But if it does, like you get zero. There's no assets. There's no claim that represents equity for you. And if they're not paying you a dividend, I'm sorry. Like, why is this valuable? Like, what what is the accrual mechanism here? What does your equity represent exactly? Like, it, it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't represent anything. Like these are governance tokens. Like I, I, I walk through the framework of my analysis here and I'm, I'm being very autistically literal here. Um, again, I, I've taken CFA tests. I know the official theory. I know what it's supposed to represent. I'm saying, when does this ever give you anything that approximates, uh, you know, equity ownership or cash or something? Can you um, explain, Bunny, can you explain what the CFA uh, test is? Oh, a chartered financial, chartered financial analyst. It's probably the most prestigious um standalone credential for finance people in the u.s short of having like a, a phd in finance or you know something like that it's like it's a it's a credential people in finance can take it's very hard um anyone can take it but the pat it's very difficult to pass um so like when i say like cfa i'm using it as a catch-all for like a strong astute traditional financial understanding of what these things mean as what my proxy for using that phrase so like i agree with with captain with, with uh noah's like general statement of like, well, if I'm not getting cash flow returned to me and anything, like what, what do I like, what this is useless, this is valueless. But my, my rejoinder to that would be one, I agree with you. Like, that's part of my point. Like, I'm sorry, like these tech stocks, NVIDIA, that's a governance token. Like you own a governance token, get comfortable with that. It has a little bit more legal protections that like, if they want to, you know, if, if, if Jensen wants to do something nefarious, like, but, but the value accrual is the same. And that, that's the, the things it gives you are the same. You can only vote with that thing. You don't get any money. It's it, you know it pays an unbelievably small dividend. That's beside the point. Um, and you don't get any claims on any assets. So you, you own a governance token. Um, but my kind of rejoinder to my own argument here, it's 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 more in defense of governance tokens than it is a slander of stocks. Is that empirically these things are valuable? Okay, like despite the the pristine logic I just gave you, the market disagrees, right? But yeah. the market disagrees insofar as they think, well, actually, no, um, Amazon's worth a shit ton. <laughs> um, actually, no, like all of like Cloudflare is a multi, multi-billion dollar company. They don't pay a dividend. They'll probably never pay a dividend. Most of these tech stocks that are like 10, 20, 30 billion market cap are not going to return anything to shareholders. And yet look at that valuation. So my yeah. takeaway from this is like, one, I know my analysis is correct, but the, the, the takeaway is that like the market still values those things as valuable. The collective still understands governance tokens is valuable. I mean, why is uni worth anything under the, this, this constant promise of a fee switch? I don't think honestly people care that much. I don't think it'll matter. I think as Uniswap keeps doing well, uni will keep doing well. I think as, R, I think as RabbitX does well, RBX will fucking do well. And I think, I think the empirical evidence of that 
are the plethora of tech stocks that don't pay anything. You can't stake them and get any revenue. There's no dividend and there's work worth a shit ton. So I think the market has already adjudicated that. And these things that don't pay dividends, they are valuable. And, but there's, you know, we struggle with that concrete connection of their value. And that would be my, my uh, explanation to give to Noah too. It's like, dude, I, I agree with you on a technical level, but on like a market level, uh, governance tokens actually are worth something. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, yeah, I guess I I'm okay with that. Yeah. No, no, I definitely I agree. And I think that's, uh, that's not even something that one can argue, you know, like, uh, just, just like you said, like the market sees something unique. And w- at least when I think of it, I see, I think, I think the market also views it from a growth, uh, like perspective, like people are uh, pretty sure that it's going to be worth like uh, 10x on many of these tokens. And you know right. what, I kind of think that there's a chance that they're going to be right about, about many of them. Yeah. Because uh, in some scenarios, a lot of these organizations and uh, like products are going to serve uh, much larger uh, like uh, audiences and uh, TVLs and volumes. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I like Noah's. I like Noah's framework though. For like, it's a very, um, it's less further out on the risk curve. I think it's good for people to incorporate part of that. Like in there, I think some of the things you have probably should pay a dividend or a staking yield because like cash flow is important for your day to day existence. You shouldn't be fully in like the capital appreciation volatile assets. Um, but you know, like it's funny. This like. The, the, the stage of ment- mental framework DeFi is in right now, and this is actually something I'm doing some research on for a piece that uh, I'm really learning. I'm enjoying learning more about myself because I already kind of knew it was roughly right. Now I'm learning the details of it. Um, is that the markets way back when, like, and by that I mean like the first equity offering ever, which I think was, uh, what am I, where are my notes here? It was that British company, um, uh, uh, Dutch East India company. I believe that was the first one to offer equity. Um, and people only understood equity as valuable because, well, I get a dividend from it. And dividend back then meant a percentage of the net income. So if the company was profitable, I get money from that. Now, the, you know, they would offer bonds too. They might even offer preferred shares. And the bonds pay 4%. And that gets the first cash flows. Steady 4%. We pay that out no matter what, right? Or unless we're failing. Then the second on the list would be the preferred stock. Maybe that pays out at six. Now that's less secure, but it's higher. Like you're getting paid a higher yield because it's less secure. Because you might not get anything some quarters or whatever if they're not profitable. And the common stock pays like say 10%, but it's super maybe not predictable. Like we might not be profitable some short. So like that's what people understood the value of equity to be. Like it was a shitty bond. It was basically like a junior bond for the company. They were buying it for like the cash flow because that that's all that people couldn't perceive it as being valuable otherwise. Like, do you understand, do you see the parallels here with DeFi right now? Like, we don't understand it to be valuable unless, well, can you stake it? Where's the real yield? And like, this is a very normal uh, uh, intuition to have. In fact, we've seen it before. This is part of the speed running financial history thing that I'm gonna like hammer home here, but I just needs to be, I feel more understood, at least understand the history, whether or not you're gonna disagree with me, I suppose, but I'm just drawing from history here. Like people innately understood stocks as like, well, this isn't valuable unless it pays me something. Like, but slowly that started to change. Like it, it started to change dramatically where people were like more and more, okay, like, oh no, I want you to reinvest in the business. Like that's a better use of your capital than paying me a dividend. And oh, now the market values this equity is higher, you know, from a capital appreciation standpoint. Oh, I'm starting to care more and more about capital appreciation. Maybe pay me less dividends and put it in the business because I'd rather the stock be higher 
Yeah. And that's where I get my money is in the cash flow. This evolution right. happens over time as more regulations and clarity happens that makes people feel more confident that, you know, the earnings are being used appropriately. Like there's a, there's part of an evolution to this that's both regulatory and cultural and maybe like some other components I'm getting into as well. But now we've landed at the point where um, half the NASDAQ doesn't pay dividends and probably won't ever pay dividends. And uh, no hedge fund has a problem with that. All right. Like no, most investors have no problem with that and they're never going to return cash to shareholders. So like there's an evolution that happened in TradFi that we're seeing right now, I feel in DeFi where they only understood equity to have any value unless it was staked, you know, staked with a dividend. Um, and that grew away. And that's part of what feeds into my thesis here. It's like, listen, if RabbitX says, well, RBX is probably going to do great. Um, I, it's not a financial advice. That's not a personal prediction. That's just me drawing from literally how fucking tech stocks work when those companies do well. Uh, and how Uniswap and Uni does well. Like, I think Uni will do well if Uniswap does. I don't think they need to turn a fee switch on. Um, I think that because no tech stock, a lot of tech stocks don't have fee switches, so to speak. They're not, they're not giving you money. Um, they're in, it's in a treasury that you'll never touch and they're reinvesting it in the business and for whatever reason that makes it valuable. Um, so that's like the historical parallel I'm looking into to kind of map that onto us because we're going to go through the same cycle. You know, like I don't think there's anything unique from crypto from a human nature standpoint. I think what we're doing that's unique is like creating new domains for us to instantiate these forms of commerce. But history will teach us a lot about how that'll go. I definitely agree. And I think that, uh, you know, in, in so many ways, growth investing is uh, has a lot more opportunity than value investing. But I think that, uh, yeah. you know, that, that that's the whole point, like at least like, uh, at least for someone like me, I've never understood that, like uh, as simple as it is, uh, like you know, I, I've never experienced it because I'm such a like uh, you know, a new investor, and like I only when I entered the crypto with DeFi summer and all that stuff, my my only uh, way of uh, thinking was about growth investing. You know what I mean? Like for for me, for it was from uh, that side, not like uh, you know the old investors of the 1920s who were actually mm -hmm. like uh, knowing what they're uh, getting. I was, right, right. Uh, like, I was uh, like a, a completely retail, uneducated, started to become fascinated watching things go up like ridiculously, both on the stocks. And then I discovered crypto and I saw that, oh my God, this is something like extremely like uh, it's like the stock market on uh, like steroids or uh, whatever. Mm. And, uh, and, and no, totally. In this upcoming cycle, I, I see like uh, like I see so much of the mistake because you know I've made like every possible thing wrong pretty much. But uh, mm -hmm. I think that one of the things that makes me like uh, relate to the captain uh, so much to Noah is that uh, it really is in many ways about survival. Because uh, as an uneducated investor, you're gonna go in. You're probably gonna make a lot of paper gains, but these gains, most of them, if you want to uh, know how to like actually cash them in. The, they're gonna go away and uh, yeah 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 but if you yeah, survive but if you survived you have a chance you know what i mean yeah, yeah. Next cycle, you can become a bit better yeah that's why i think his advice is is very good and solid for like by far and away most people because for anyone frankly like no one should be fully out on the risk curve for everything like you should have some more stable cash flowing assets that let mm -hmm. you cover your day-to-day -day. you know like it's just a very mature way to go about i think handling your money but like to view tech stocks or these things that don't have cash flow streams is like, I, I believe his mentality towards that is like, well, these are useless and valueless. I'm like, no, they're just not. They're just empirically not. Like, 
There's a reason why the market yeah, like have coalesced around. There's value here, man. And, and kind of like when I deconstruct the shit out of it, which I like it really brass tacks in, in this write-up. Like I get into stock buybacks, I get into like all the stuff that people might have as rejoinders to this. And it's like, no, man, like this is a governance token. Like there's nothing given to you here. There's no equity stake in any tangible real way. But hey, I'm not fighting against reality because I'm not going to go short Cloudflare based on this realization. You know, like it just means to me that the governance element and that, the, the, you know, is apparently valuable. So that's part of feeds my thesis. Like, I don't think the staking stuff matters. I don't think the dividend real yield stuff. I mean, it matters right now because the cultural uh, just trend is this, this is the stage of development we're at. And I alone, I'm not going to change the collective's mind on this because it's, they just have not ingrained in them right now that that makes it real. And it's just going to be something we're going to grow out of, um, based off historical cycles. That's what's going to happen because that's what happened before us. And I don't, you know, we're not special. We're just making new paradigms for finance. We're not special. Uh, we'll learn the lessons of our forefathers as we're about to learn with like rehypothecation and all that too, I feel. Um, but, uh, I was gonna make one other point. I fucking forgot it. Um, <laughs> shit. Ah, fuck. It was something I wanted to say too. I forgot to say it. Um, ah, maybe it'll come to me. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So how does that uh, like uh, translate to a uh, rabbit, by the way? Like, uh, what are you guys uh, up to with your uh, perspectives? I'm pretty sure that you got uh, so much uh, like uh, in line there. Yeah, so we've uh, we've launched a, a lot in the last uh, just this week, frankly, um, and a lot within the last month. Like, I love. I, I think we're getting like a, a nice rep for like just shipping and quality stuff, and I love that because I want people to value us fundamentally, and like you know, as a real concrete thing. Like you know, we're not this mindless financialized pump. Like, there's a real product being built here. You know, we view ourselves as a as a as a startup, as a company that also ha- that is like access via DeFi as a DeFi native sort of thing. Um, so like we released fiat on ramping this week, which is meaning yeah, you can so use, a, you can yeah. use a credit card. Yeah. You can use a credit card to just go directly on the rabbit. Um, the instructions for that are, uh, you know, on the rabbit Twitter and I put into our docs. Um, we have an integration with quant tower that just came out, which is a very sophisticated, like trading, uh, platform to use with us. Um, vaults are coming very soon, which is a way to get yield. Um, basically the way to get yield with rabbit, you just input your collateral and the vaults will trade with our order book and it's kind of like LP for an order book because we're an order book you can't LP in a, in a normal way like GLP or with GMX. Um, so this allows you to trade with the order book in a way that provides this liquidity and gets you yield. Um, our referral program launched last uh, last week. It's been doing really well. Our mobile um, iOS and Android came out and it's really smooth and clean. Wait, like wait, I, wait, yeah, wait, we got to start talking about that uh, stuff. Wait, wait. So with the Fiat, <laughs> with the Fiat for example. Like uh, they're, they're doing it for like, uh, like directly from the app using like, like can they do it everywhere? Like every country in the world, which countries, like how do people know? Uh, so uh, there's actually a link in the announcement and in the docs that lets you know by country. It, as far as I know, it's most countries. I don't have it have the list memorized, but there's a link in there that shows you which ones. Um, and it lets you go directly from your credit card or like Google Pay or Apple Pay directly oh, to rabbit so you don't have to like go to a bank then go to coinbase then go on chain like it's a direct route um to use the fiat on ramp you do need to kyc because the provider requires it um if you don't you don't have to kyc to use rabbit by the way it's just if you want to use the credit card or apple pay fiat on ramp like that's you know it's just a rule we have to deal with with that but if you're okay with that you can go directly from those things 
right to rabbit. So it's a very just fast, easy way to get there. And most normies, you know, they really kind of don't care. Like people who have Robinhood accounts, yeah, like yeah. they're already, they're already yeah, yeah, everyone, they're KYC, would, want right? everyone yeah. would want it. Everyone would want it. Like you, I, I think that it's not even about like, uh, like I mean, some people, you're right, uh, wouldn't want to, to to expose us and do KYC, but the normal yeah. person. Is gonna want to do KYC. Is gonna feel more comfortable with it. It's gonna think that it's on his name. Like he's gonna prefer it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And the fact that you know we're trying to appeal, like with the Quant Tower stuff, you know, we're trying to have a product offering, and and all the other stuff that caters like sophisticated, serious traders, like HFT guys, real got you know high intelligence, sophistication people who want to use us, and stuff like the Fiat on ramp is catering now to the Robinhood trader. Like we want it to be normie friendly too. Like we're trying to create new DeFi participants. You yeah, know, I, so, think, I, think, I think that's very smart of you guys, Bunny, Bunny because, uh, you know, you're, you have a, you're a DEX, you have a consumer app, like the, 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 the people who are actually interacting with your DAP are like the average consumer, the retailers, like uh, you don't necessarily like uh, address only like, I don't know, hedge funds or uh, whatever. Yeah, like you, or, or like the libertarian Austrian Bitcoin types, like, you know, if you don't want a KYC, you don't have to. Um, if you don't want to use a hardware wallet, you don't have to. I'm a hardware wallet guy who doesn't want a KYC, so I'm not going to use a fiat on ramp, you know, but and I'm not going to. But some guys are okay with that, and we should be yeah, open to like everything. I don't even think it's some guys, you know. Uh, I think that the like it's it's kind of an illusion that we have in the space that everyone wants to be anon, but most people they don't want to be anon. On the contrary, they want to feel that this is like uh, you know. Everything is uh, transparent, uh, not only in the way that we see transparent and on chain. These people don't want to see stuff on say, on chain. They want to see that it's a legit uh, place, and they they want to feel that they can give their name out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's evidence that they're okay with that because they're already doing that with their brokers right now. And you know, if we want to win over these Robinhood types, like we need to just make it easy for them because they don't care enough to learn about hardware wallet security and all the nuances all like gas they just want to get their money out there and start trading so we have to make it as low friction as possible for that type of person which is the predominant person like that's not an exception that's kind of the rule i honestly think the more hardcore dudes like me you know like that's not going to make your home market like appealing to someone like me you have to appeal to like a normal person who's like oh yeah sure okay well, i don't care i just want to be able to get over there and trade more cheaply and there you go you know like DeFi needs to be welcoming to that guy too while also not putting the you know kyc ethos on to the purists if they want to use as well like i think it's important that like it gives that whole spectrum of people who are okay with the trade-off of convenience versus security maybe we'll say or like anonymity some people are fine with that trade-off they don't want to deal with friction or bullshit and we're trying to like you know let them be able to access this too so that's the thinking there are there uh, any other DEXs that you know that are uh, taking the same strategy here, uh, like uh, with the KYC stuff, like addressing, like you know, the the, the normie audience, let's call it. Like, uh, um, I I had a I did a spaces like maybe three weeks ago with a handful of DEXs, and I mentioned this, and I believe I heard one or two others say they're looking into this too. I don't remember which ones though. Like Synthetics was on there, and a couple others. Um, so, so it's definitely, uh, I think, on mind for a lot of them. I'm not aware of anyone else who has it at this time. Uh, th th they might have it, and I'm just unaware. But um, yeah, I mean, we're 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 prioritizing this a lot personally because, like, a lot of the volume and usability will come from normies. 
And uh, I think other DEXs will converge on that too, because you know it's just how the world will work and how things will go. So I, I believe others are in certain stages also working on this, but I don't know if they have it live like we do. Uh, I actually think that's a, a very interesting strategy by your side. Uh, and I think that uh, in your sector, I think it's, uh, uh, in my opinion, it's going to be a wise, uh, a wise decision. We're going to be very interesting to see and like maybe have you uh, uh, next time we have you or in a few months, like, you know, later on and like to see your perspective on like uh, how did that uh, work for you guys? Because I think that uh, this is specifically a direction that, uh, you, know, you know, the like for DEXs, like imagine the size of the like sexes today. You know what I mean? Like the sec the centralized exchanges are so much bigger, right? Like, yeah. uh, than, uh, like hugely bigger. bigger. Yeah, not even close. Like they have, like we have about all of DeFi DEXs have about two percent of the volume of the CFI ones. Yeah, so like it's know, pitiful. The DEXs that are gonna actually uh, like gonna change this uh, equation, uh, they have so much to gain. You know that there's so much on the table, and I actually think that you guys are uh, uh, going in the right direction uh, there because I think that the actual retail, it doesn't want to play the game the way we chose to play the game. Otherwise, they would already do it. Like, you know, I've shown my friends on the on the previous bull market where everyone was buying. And personally, like, if it wasn't on Binance, they wouldn't have bought it. Like, they only buy stuff that is on Binance. They don't want to go off-chain. Yeah. Uh, on-chain, I mean. They don't want to open a wallet. It, yeah. it, it the, the world wallet, like makes it uh, too much for them yeah exactly they're very very like sensitive to friction they don't want to learn new things like they don't they don't I, they don't maybe even care so much about the anonymous self-custody appeal you know like not that's kind of a it's sort of almost a political a, a ideological appeal for those things yeah. you know and we shouldn't expect everybody to necessarily care about that we should make it so like DeFi products are obviously still compliant with that ethos because that's very important but I also think if we can make things smoother for the guys that don't care, like whatever, like exactly. they don't care, yeah, that, you know, just be pragmatic about it. That's yeah. our uh, Trojan horse, uh, Vanny. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. totally. You want to? Actually, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. To, to actually get them in, I mean, like uh, you have to, you have to show. Oh no, no, it's okay. It's a dex. You can give your name, but it's actually a dex. But you actually have self custody while you're trading. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, those explainers, that education is important. Um, we're also working on a connection that will allow you to transfer directly from Binance to Rabbit or directly from Kraken to Rabbit. So like that avoiding again, like another step. So if someone is already comfortable with Binance or Kraken or Coinbase, you can just move directly from us and you don't have to worry about the gas and on-chain shit. Um, so we're working on another bridge there as well too. Hopefully that's um, something we get out there soon. That's actually, in my opinion, very important stuff. You know, these are like uh, bottlenecks, friction points. And uh, I think it's very uh, like wise of you business-wise to uh, address these issues. And not only like, uh, you know, uh, because I agree, it's, uh, you know, on our side of the industry, we talk about like uh, all the other stuff that we care about, like, I don't know, decentralization and make sure that you're uh, like uh, protected and it's immutable and that stuff. But for most people, uh, give them the UX, give them uh, like the, the comfort feeling. Uh, it's not about facts for them. It's about feeling, you know? Yeah, exactly. They're just not as ideologically aligned, you know, and whatever. Like the, the, I think the mentality more than anything needs to be 
how to reduce friction in all steps of everything because people just hate that it kills it kills deal flows it kills like sequences of user behavior you got to just make it easy otherwise if if it's too one too many clicks you'll lose them at like a certain stage so mm-hmm. trying to be you know uh, delicate about that cuz you just have to be yeah. and and by the way you know what else reduces uh, friction what's that uh reflinks Oh, that's right. I forgot about the ref link. So thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Really, I think it's a huge deal. Like, I think that uh, done right, ref links are huge, honestly. Because yeah. uh, people are just uh, like, uh, people, people like uh, earning. And uh, it's actually a model that works. And I can definitely tell, like, uh, like share that, uh, just like we talked uh, on the messages, once I heard it, first of all, specifically on the rabbit uh, ref links, uh, like the, it's a very specific uh, ref links uh, show, very unique. I've never seen like uh, some of the prizes uh, being offered uh, on other uh, ref links and it was very funny uh, to see some people <laughs> elaborate about that. And uh, also, you know, uh, we've been talking at Leviathan about uh, how we're starting to uh, like uh, monetize stuff and what's fair and not fair. What do we want to do? Like uh, what's the proper way to go? And one of the things that started uh, like realizing that, is that okay first of all like uh, ref links are an interesting uh, direction to explore especially with like uh, dabs of uh, founders that we already know and met and we you know we, we see they act in uh, like good faith and do uh, like stuff from uh, like uh, like put literally all their energy into building a better uh, financial future and put all their uh, hard work and effort into it and uh, like uh, carrying other people uh, in and allowing us uh, to like uh, I don't know make a living out of talking about what you uh, what you guys uh, keep doing and building so it's definitely something that uh, we, we want to start doing especially with a uh, with dexes like uh, rabbit so maybe you can it about uh, the show and uh, some of it's a very very unique aspect yeah yeah so yeah thanks for um uh, bringing that up uh So yeah, the uh, referral link uh, program launched uh, like the second to last day of December, right before the end of 2023. Um, the commissions are pretty sizable. Um, and you know, like you get encouraged to, hey, you know, participate and in, in, in promote the money. Like you get, uh, well, so it also have benefits for um, future airdrops too. Uh, but on a commission standpoint, it can go as high as 40%. It starts as 20% and there's no minimums. So like, you know, even if you're a, a small guy, you're only referring a couple people, you're still getting money off that. Um, and then it goes all the way up to 40%. And if you hit certain tiers, uh, the prices get a little concrete as well. Like one, the payouts are daily. So anyone you refer to us and they start trading, like whatever commissions they generate, you get that daily into your RabbitX account, into your RabbitX wallet. Uh, and you can, with, you can trade on that. You can withdraw it. It's your money to do with as you please. And it's paid out every day. And uh, if you do a billion in volume, um, you will get a, uh, I'm looking at our numbers right here, actually, a, mile, a cash bonus of 25K. That's if you refer a billion dollars wow. in volume. So a cash bonus of 25K and a Rolex. The, uh, oh, and a Rolex. Wait yeah. a minute, the cash bonus is paid in uh, what token? What do you mean the cash bonus? Uh, it'll probably be, I'm not sure, actually, probably USDC, because that's what most of our treasury is in, I believe. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, most, yeah, it, probably that maybe USDT cause that's what our collateral is, uh, a stable I'm assuming though, and on chain most likely. <clears throat> and then, um, a Rolex too. We'll send you one of those. Uh, I'm not sure which one, uh, but how much, you know. how much does such a Rolex, uh, cost? 
I'm not sure which Rolex, like, like the, the, basically like when these, if these get hit by people, we'll reach out and show a selection of, of like Rolexes we'll send you. Um, but the Rolexes in general are like, you know, maybe 20, 30 K, 40 K. Like we're not going to do one of like the quarter million dollar ones, but it'll, you know, a Rolex, like a real one. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there's, not, there's no such thing as a cheap Rolex from what I've heard. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't own a Rolex. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then if you do uh, 10 billion in volume, uh, we'll send you a Lamborghini. Um, oh my God. Yeah, you will have to, we'll think, like, we will get you one. Like, what, what, like, uh, like, is this, a, like, uh, I don't know, is this a parody uh, tweet? And I started, like, reading and reading when I said, to myself, oh, oh, wait, like, they're not joking. They're actually offering, say that again, like, you're offering, like, if someone creates a volume of how much? 10 billion, you said? 10, 10 billion in referred volume. Yep. 10 billion in referred volume and they're delivered a Lambo straight to the their backyard. Yep. We will we'll figure out logistics. We'll reach out to you. We'll see that you've done that with your reflink and we will find a way to get you that Lamborghini. Like it's a it's very serious. Like because that's I mean that's hugely valuable to us. Like, you know, we're really appreciative of that. You know, you gotta you gotta reward people for uh for doing a good job. So that is such a great uh, like you know <laughs> uh I've never even like uh, imagined anything so surreal to to be able to win uh, a Lamborghini. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, if we get a Lambo uh, on Leviathan, and I see and I see Sam uh, with the Lambo after him, you know who's who's Alex Becker, by the way? Yeah, I think I've heard that name before. I yeah, think, but he's like, he's like a YouTuber. Oh yeah, I, I I only loosely know the name, but yeah. He used to, uh, he used to, uh, how's it called? He, he used to stream uh, out of his garage. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he used to see the car. By the way, it took me like a half an hour, but I, but I was uh, able to uh, like show it on screen, like the Lambo that you actually mean it. But I think it's cut in a way. Man. So he, uh... never mind. So, uh, man, he used to, he, I'm sorry, he used to uh, like uh, stream and you see him also solo streaming. Like he, it's kind of parody, but it's kind of cultish. He had his, uh, like he had a huge, he had a huge audience. He, mm -hmm. he put on, he put on like a whole show. He's a, he, he's an amazing performer to be honest. Like, uh, and he's also a smart guy. I definitely don't agree with a lot of what, of the stuff he says, but he's also in my opinion, a very smart guy actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, like he's sitting there, but it's actually his garage. And behind him, there's like a, an insane Lamborghini. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> so if I ever see Sam uh, broadcast and there's like a big Lambo, uh, he got delivered by Rabbit X after uh, ten billion dollar of referrals. Yeah, yeah. No, hopefully funny. we get to because it'd be like you know one, we're happy to reward someone who does you know such an amazing job for us and. Too, it's also a great mark. It's a great like marketing angle too. Like shows we're serious, you know, and like, hey, look at what we gave, look what you can win by promoting others to succeed. Like you succeed too. So yeah, you got to make it so like you know you you get rewarded for doing valuable work. You know, you always got to do that. And uh, yeah, we're just trying to do that in a very fun, memorable way. So <laughs> I think you're doing a good job uh, on that front for sure. 
both with the on-ramp uh, stuff and with the ref uh, link uh, program, which also like uh, reaches a huge percentage. I saw something like 40% there at some point, right? After yeah, yeah. Some, uh, yeah, the highest here, yeah. These are pretty, like, pretty insane numbers. Like, I, I don't think I've ever heard such numbers, uh, at least uh, to, my, uh, to my memory. Mm. What, what else uh, you got over there? Uh, like, you uh, want... Uh, uh, what else are we uh, doing? Or what was the question? No, I, I mean, like, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I saw another, uh, like, new thing that you were uh, either uh, working on or uh, already got out. Uh, the big releases this week were, yeah, the, the uh, mobile uh, mobile launched last month, late last month, uh, iOS and Android, really clean, smooth, like it feels like a real, you know, polished product. Um, referral program came out late last month. Um, Vaults are coming soon. Uh, maybe this month, they might be next, I think they might be next month, actually. Um, and then the Fiat on-ramp and the Quantara integration come out, came out just this week. So it's like, we're we're shipping as much as possible uh and yeah, i think eventually you know the market and people reward that so that's the mentality there that's really cool uh can you share a bit about the vaults maybe uh, uh it's gonna be like a predefined it's with elixir uh, we made a pre we made an announcement on that a bit ago um they'll be the provider for it and it'll just in a kind of algorithmic predefined way trade with our order book um in a way that you know should be profitable like not guaranteed profitable right it's an algorithmic trading strategy but it's meant in a way that provides liquidity to our order book and allows you to get a consistent steady yield um, we do provide maker rebates and it'll have a maker component to it so that's part of like where that yield will come from because if you're providing us liquidity for maker orders you get you know rebates out of after a certain tier of volume um so it's a, it's functionally what it's a way is to let retail people stake so to speak because they can't stake with an order book model, which is us. So there's no like LPing here, but this is kind of a functional way to do that. Um, and hopefully it increases our liquidity and lets uh, people make some money while they do it. Yeah, I think uh, so much interesting stuff on the table. So much hard work as a builder in the space, I guess, huh? No, yeah, no, it's a labor of love, but <laughs> enjoy it. For sure. I think yeah. that you know what, when I see uh, like so many of you guys uh, like doing such an amazing job and building, I think it's something that can only uh, become like, uh, just like you said, like a labor of love. Like someone can't put that much energy into something uh, that uh, he doesn't really like feels connected to and really does it from the heart. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Like that you wouldn't put in the hours and stuff that you do if you didn't really like it. You'd be like a nine to five clock out sort of mentality. and. You know, that's, that's, that's fine if that's if you're just in about your job or it's just a means for an income. But I think most people build here, or many people, um, us included, build here for different reasons. It's we're really motivated by it. You know, it's fun. Definitely, I think it. I actually think it's a lot of fun, uh, and I think you guys are doing like. I don't know. I'm just fascinated, uh, like, you know, seeing you guys building these products, seeing this market, like, emerge and seeing, like, the different angles that different builders and founders take with their, uh, like, uh, businesses and, like, the different directions being explored and the different types of, uh, like, uh, ways that uh, stuff is organized. And to take it to the, to the beginning of our conversation, the different cultures that, uh, like, uh, emerge and, like, the way that, you know... Uh, we had a recording on the Send It uh, podcast, me and Waj, with uh, the Bramafi uh, team, the consulting. Right, right. 
we and we talked about the fact that uh, you know like all of a sudden you have businesses emerge that have like people who work on uh, like this this guy is in Italy that guy is in India that guy uh, is in Mexico one in the states two in Europe like uh, whatever and you uh, you get organizations that are actually like we said earlier they are actually built on merit and not built on uh, like a specific culture within a specific area that uh, like all automatically without even people uh, knowing it or understanding it uh, dictates all kinds of norms and organi- and uh, like perspectives and like uh, you know uh, like uh, crypto organizations are, or DeFi organizations are in many cases like much more global than uh, other organizations at least mm. uh, where I'm sitting yeah no I agree I agree totally Before, uh, before I got a wrap parent a little bit, you want to touch on the uh, little of the astrology thread uh, quickly for uh, sure, if you want to mention it, I read it and I liked it so much. <laughs> yeah, I noticed you put it in the, the uh, part of the tweet. So I got to got to fulfill that. Uh, let me bring up the so yeah, it's just uh, it's kind of consistent with uh, sort of another thing I've been writing about lately um, related to like political cycles and what I call like bio foundationalism um, I, I was can you maybe uh, say a few words about it uh, like uh, what is uh, about what is the uh, bio foundationalism that's how you say it yeah yeah uh, that's a, a, a series of posts I've been putting out it's pinned to my uh, top of my account right now um, that is basically my uh, deconstruction of why political cycles happen um, it's combines like a very like biological foundation look into why these occur like I'm not analyzing them from the lens of like it's not a political analysis honestly like I'm not telling I'm not saying something you know a lot of these analysis I feel like draw from like well in history the Huns did this and then uh, the founding fathers did this in response to this like to me that's kind of minutia um, I am not getting into minutia I'm getting to, into like what catalyzes behaviors at a, what I feel is a biological level and like what I call like moral genotypes and political phenotypes and And then why those things express differently over the life cycle of a nation and uh, the too long the, the TLDR there is it has a lot to do with prosperity and wealth I actually think that's a major major conduit I think it's causal and I think it does it at like a biological level so it's a breakdown of like of like a, a couple different kind of unusual political theories that it's gotten actually some pretty good feedback better than I thought because uh, it is weird but I've had analogized a couple times to slate star codex um, Scott Alexander who I've never read before but um I was you know flattered by the comparison because he's like a well-known pretty in- intelligent guy um so it kind of breaks stuff down and apparently converges on a lot of uh, we come to similar conclusions for different reasons um some of the reasons are kind of comparable as uh, someone shared with me an article he did that is similar to what I did here and it's it's it is similar uh, I was surprised to read some of them. I was like wow we we like naturally came up We, na- we naturally converge on like some similar conclusions so anyway it, it's and there's a lot of art in there too by the way like I'm gonna do an nft release with the art in there because that also has gotten a fair amount of interest like I had a I had a guy who does curated galleries reach out and he wants to publish it as like its own um, unique release uh, so I'm probably gonna do that so that'll be fun so anyway there's a lot of art and just like uh, philosophy and theory in there that hopefully is different than what you will typically encounter again it's, I'm not going into like 
nominal political analysis. Like this is like biological and rooted in like moral foundations and what they represent and trying to be relatively apolitical about it too. So anyway, and then this was something that I was thinking about too. And the backstory on for the astrology thing, um, I was having a conversation with a woman and, you know, astrology is something that always comes up with just women. They what, a always, surprise. what a surprise. Yeah, yeah. They just all believe in some degree, right? It's just, it's just a thing. So I'm like, you know, I'm not judging. Can I just tell you a, a little side story? Yeah. Uh, like, I used to think that, you know, astrology, like, well, uh, like, like, come on, come on. Like, you know, what have you been talking to me about? Like someone is <laughs> I used to think it's a joke, but then with women, I started like realizing that I'm more attracted to specific zodiacs. And that and, you know, <laughs> at some point you start telling yourself like, uh, I don't know, statistically, like it has to mean something. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. I, and I agree with that. Like it's one of those things where if you analyze it on its nominal grounds, you, you have a very like mid curve Reddit type of response. Like you just described that I used to have as well, where it's like, well, clearly there's nothing scientifically rooted in what Saturn is doing uh, as it uh, compares to your personality, right? Like, yeah. and that, that that's true, by the way. Like, I, I don't, I'm not making this argument on a cosmic ground or like a spiritual or, you know, magnetic energy field or whatever you want to say there. Like, what I did is I thought like, okay, how could this be true? Like, what pattern is this seeing or observing that is valid? Like, how, how could I best defend this? And my defense of it is in this thread I call astrology, Darwinian truths, astrology and Darwinian truths, um, and biochemistry in the womb. So a Darwinian truth is, uh, I guess I'd say this first, like a Darwinian truth is something that is technically wrong, scientifically wrong, but it gives you a correct way to navigate the world. So like the behavior it evokes is, is right from a survival standpoint. An example I give in the thread is um, a porcupine throws its quills. Like a porcupine does not throw its quills. It does not, it doesn't sting you from afar. But if you behave like it does and avoid them, that behavior is healthy. That's a salutary good behavior that helps you live longer. So even if the reason is wrong, if it, if it gives, if it spots a pattern or promotes a behavior that is healthy or right, like from an evolutionary standpoint, it becomes a belief that is maintained because it promotes a correct understanding, even though it's on nominally false grounds. Right. So like scientific truth would be something scientifically valid, like, uh, I, you know, uh, the, uh, the physics, you know, how E equals MC squared, whatever. Uh, a scientific truth is like an observable, recreatable, true thing. Technically, that's a, a Reddit truth, so to speak. Right. And a Darwinian truth is more of like a functionally true thing that is perhaps technically false. So I was looking at astrology from like Darwinian grounds and like what pattern is spotted that's true. And it's just associating with planets in some way. And what, what heuristic does the planet give? And it got me to thinking about like, what could alter a mother? What could alter someone while they're gestating in a womb? And seasonality does. Um, weather patterns do actually a lot. And then I looked into more like, well, how much can it actually impact that? And in terms of that, it impacts that more than I even gave it credit for. Um, you know, harsh winters, really hot summers, the, the dietary changes in fall, like these actually imp impact like, you know, vitamin D levels cortisol levels, um, you know, uh, uh, a whole array of like uh, hormones and biochemistry in a mother. And if those are impacting the mother, it's impacting the fetus. Um, and so, and, and what this would do is what this would happen in a very cyclical way. Um, meaning that like a February baby born in the US or born in a geographically similar region, like Germany or France or whatever, like those roughly have the same climate 
is going to go through roughly the same climate pattern and seasonality that leads up to their birth. So February, you know, like the first trimester is, you know, whatever, like May. Um, so that's kind of getting, starting to get hot. The second trimester is, has a lot of summer in it. So there's impacts there with vitamin D and whatever and how that influences your brain. And so and then the cycle ends and then you're born in February. And the same for each birth month. So that to me is the cycle. Um, those nine-month patterns that lead up to your birth are undergoing consistent biochemical changes in the mom, hormonal changes in the mom, based off her environment changing with weather and diet, because the diet and the weather often do change. The diet often changes with weather, in addition to the seasonality impacts of like more sun, less sun, et cetera. And that can absolutely produce like temperament differences in people. Like the like the small flushes of hormones like testosterone or even estrogen for like a little bit in the womb materially changes your temperament, your interest in people versus things. I shared a study in there on that. So like these little nuances really actually do matter a lot for your brain structure and your formation of yourself as a as a person in the womb. Um, so I think that's an entirely plausible explanation of like how what astrology has come to a correct observation that people's temperaments and the temperament is just like your natural, your, your, your personality, your, your behavioral traits, what, what stimulates you. It's a very broad term that encapsulates the essence of something like, you know, the, the, the temperament of a cat is inherently a little more skittish than that of a dog, right? Some men have very aggressive temperaments. Some women have very agreeable ones. That's all like known to the bucket of temperament. So someone's temperament can correlate with month with birth month based off these patterns. So, and that's what astrology is observing, that temperament does vary by the month you're born based off the lead up that goes into that month. It's attributing it to the wrong thing though. in, in so far as like planets and stuff, uh, because you know, people, when they can't explain something, they can just make it up, but that doesn't mean the observation is wrong. It just means explanation is wrong, but whatever, it's still pr producing a correct observation, the Darwinian truth. So it argues for astrology as a Darwinian truth based upon a correct observation that temperament does vary by month but it actually varies by month based off of the endocrine system and dietary changes in the mom in the nine months prior to that month that they're born. <laughs> um, uh, let me know if that, if that made sense. <laughs> I think that uh, that not only makes sense, like I read that thing, like, and I was like, Oh my God, how did he think about that? And that's like such an amazing, uh, like way to view it in, in a way that like, you know what actually like i don't understand how someone can argue with what you're claiming that you know what i mean like uh like the weather is different on all these uh like uh like different times and it uh, automatically makes you like eat different uh foods it makes you uh, like uh, i don't know dress differently like uh, and like be exposed to different uh, things completely of course it's going to be different you know what i mean yeah. and, you've, and you've even given like uh, a few examples over there like you've literally wrote uh, like about someone if he's born if he's conceived in this month then he goes through this cycle of this and this and that and, and on his uh, second trimester he's going to experience this it's going to be spring it's going to be winter it's such an amazing thread. I really recommend people uh, check it out. And it, uh, it it also relates to something that we've mentioned earlier because it, it really leads to show, it really shows me, I'm sorry, uh, how much does your curiosity actually leads you? Like you actually have the, uh, like the patience 
to sit down and think about an idea and uh, process it tie like uh, like step after step and really trying to like uh, re explore it to an extent which uh, like keeps asking and asking and asking and I admire that so much about you man and I think that <laughs> It really shows uh, both in the uh, like uh, obscene amount of uh, like uh, threads uh, that you write about so many diverse topics. You know, we talk about DEI, but DEI is not diverse at all. DEI is like the same thing. You should have like one uh, person uh, like this, one person from there. And, yeah. plus, and, and with your threads, it's like each and every time it goes on like a specific, like a, a new direction that uh, I've, I've never even like. Uh, thought about and it's uh, fascinating to see how your mind actually works and uh, processes stuff and I'm pretty sure that you take uh, this uh, like uh, creativeness and uh, put it into the products that you guys are that, that you build with uh, rabbit and uh, you can see some of these like uh, sparks uh, in what you uh, do with the pro with uh, like uh, the project as well and uh, much respect I think you guys are doing an amazing job and uh, wish you guys a lot of luck. Is there anything that we didn't mention, uh, Bunny, that you wanted to mention about uh, Rabbit, about whatever stuff that people can uh, look for, or uh, like uh, like uh, any, any specific call to action that uh, the Rabbit audience uh, should get uh, like uh, this uh, upcoming month? Uh, so what, thank you very much for that, but I really appreciate that. Like, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm literally just thinking out loud and, you know, the rabbit holes and like little things I just reflect on, I'm just putting into threads and like, it's inspiring and motivating now to do that uh, with this account. And, you know, it just having a positive impact for rabbit for me, I've just really enjoyed it and what it's led to with meeting, you know, guys like you and all the podcasts and stuff. So I really appreciate that. Like I really do. Um, and also like I emphasize too, like our team is like really good. Like our, um, the more internal people like we work with when we come up with decisions on what to launch, what have you, like, it's always like a team discussion and vote. Um, super smart people. Like I am not solely responsible in any way for all of it. Like I contribute to it. I definitely influence parts, you know, major parts of it. But like, you know, Ming, our, our, our CEO, and then Chang, our, our CTO Krill, like really thoughtful, considerate people. Like, you know, I love I love being around them and working with them. So uh, just to emphasize on that, like I think, you know, it's just a, a good, good, holistic, good team environment in general. Um, and on the rapid front, Gosh, what's coming up soon? So no, I mean, I would I would say like the call to action, just try us out. Like honestly, just download the app, it's free. Um, check out the UI, it's free. See what you think. Like if you're using a Dex already and you like that Dex, that's awesome. Like again, I'm not like, I don't think Rabbit success has come at the expense of anyone else. And I think a lot of other Dexes are great in this space and I hope they succeed and do well because it means DeFi succeeds. But like, give us a shot. Like we're very cheap, look at our fees. Um, we're very fast. Um, and I, I quantified that in a, a post previously, like super quick. Um, we have a lot of structural advantages and we're building a lot of really cool shit. Like I, you know, I, I put us up against anybody and vote for us and that trade-off. So, you know, may, you come to that conclusion on your own. It's so easy to try out, like, just look at it and see what you think. Um, that would be my call to action. <laughs> and then just like track us in general, see what we're up to. Cause you know, we're doing a lot of really cool shit and I think we'll continue to ship and build, uh, and be one of the premier DEXs in the space, and then hopefully even more, because uh, we have you know a lot of a lot of uh, big goals. So uh, yeah. Anyway, amazing stuff, man. I really think that you guys are also like uh, like we've mentioned earlier. You guys are removing a lot of the friction for so many uh, new users that really even uh, have no idea. Uh, 
yet, but in my opinion, uh, you're doing a, like uh, you're taking a very interesting approach, which uh, I think might benefit you guys a lot. And uh, you know, when there's a good product, uh, good stuff usually happens. And honestly, much respect, Bunny. And also, much, much respect for your time, man. I really, really enjoyed it. I hope we do it uh, more and more often. I enjoy talking to you and sharing your, uh, like, uh, to listen to you sharing your uh, thoughts on so many stuff. And, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like, uh, giving you uh, the stage to express yourself uh, just like you know how, but also in, like, the audio version of uh, stuff because it's one thing to to read what you write and you write so much but sometimes sometimes it's also fun fun to like uh, you know listen to someone who actually expresses his uh, thoughts and i think you really do it brilliantly and i enjoy it so much every time thank you man and yeah man for sure and we're gonna like uh, create a link for uh, leviathan uh, with rabbit uh, for sure we we'll to start exploring the Reflink uh, scene, both with uh, Rabbit and with uh, all kinds of other uh, projects as well. So uh, check the show notes and uh, in the description. And uh, again, Bunny, thanks a lot uh, for your time. Thanks for coming. Good luck with uh, whatever you do and with uh, Rabbit. And uh, thanks for uh, tuning in, everyone. Much respect for your time. Hope you enjoyed it. Give us uh, like uh, feel free to uh, like uh, let us know what what I should have asked and didn't. What did I do? The, like what did I do this time? What should I have done better? Obviously a lot, uh, a lot, obviously a lot, and let's grow, we'll grow together, and become uh, like uh, I don't know. Let, let's just uh, do it better on the media wise as well, at least or at least try. Thanks a lot, Bunny. Bye, yeah, man. Love everybody. Later. Bye.